2: Buy him a fishing vest so that every time he hits the water, the cool kids beat the piss out of him. If you hate mixed Legos, don't ever go there. No. Like, that will be your personal help. I can't find my scissors anywhere, man. I will.
3: Bent! Merry Christmas, degenerate anglers. From me, Joe Sirmelli. And me, Miles Nolte. And welcome to the Bent Christmas Spectacular that we sincerely hope none of you are listening to today on actual Christmas. We truly hope you are spending actual Christmas Day with family and friends, pounding eggnog and stacking up those Amazon gift receipts so you can buy the new rod that you really wanted for Christmas.
1: Mm. Genuine question. How does your family fix eggnog? Like, what's your eggnog go-to tradition?
3: This is important. Uh, It's plain Jane, but I... you asked, so now I have to give a shout out to Halo Farms, a Trenton, New Jersey staple, because there is no better pre-made eggnog on the planet than Halo Farms. If I could ship you some without it spoiling, I would. Uh, but that said, not like chilled, chilled Halo nog, sprinkled mm-hmm. nutmeg, and I traditionally go Maker's Mark. I like bourbon over rum. Okay. However, uh, if you want to make it extra sweet and girly, you go a little Crown Royal vanilla. That's but you don't, you option.
2: don't do
1: the, you don't do the warm eggnog thing. I thought that was like what, what people did out east. that's not that's not what you do
3: no i don't my family never has and i i know that's the thing we just never did that i personally like it chilled and i'd be afraid i'd overwarm it and just end up with pancakes <laughs> you know what i mean so since you brought it up i'm really not a fan of any hot or warm alcoholic beverages like hot toddies and shit. No, you don't do the hot toddy no nah, i've had them i don't know like alcohol's not it's not supposed to be hot to me i don't like it mm.
1: See, I, I can't go with you on the hot toddy, but I'm with you on the eggnog. The eggnog, okay. I'm like, I'm totally with you on. And I think, I always thought it was because I grew up in a warm climate, right? Like one of mm-hmm. those places that you dog on because it doesn't have seasonally appropriate weather for Christmas. Yeah, therefore, it really doesn't
3: have Christmas, but that's a whole other thing. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not touching that. But, I, dude, when it's 80 degrees outside, warm eggnog is Gross. Yeah, like I would it, imagine. It's, it's, it is. <laughs> you already think it's not something you want to consume, but imagine right. when it's like when you're sweaty and someone's like, here, have a hot cup of eggnog. It's, <laughs> but my family had this super special eggnog drink that they always used to make. And and so I don't know where it came from, but it was very, very specific. You would In a blender, you would combine eggnog, eggnog ice cream, crushed ice, spiced Ooh. rum, and brandy and you'd blend it all up into like this north pole carnival cruise boat drink <laughs> and then, and then a little, 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 bit of nutmeg for garnish and, uh, dude, it's so good. And that for all of you out there who live in, in hot climates and still do have real Christmas, like, and you want to feel jolly, I highly recommend doing that if you can find the eggnog ice cream, cause that's, that's key and it's kind of hard to find. So there's my holiday tip.
3: Damn, dude, you know, I got a lot of places around here, including Halo Farms and Trenton, Trent, New Jersey Staple. <laughs> they make a delicious eggnog ice cream as well. If we could be sponsored by them, I'd be okay with it. I would drink the shit out of what you just described. and it's I so oh, good. Dude, not kidding. I already know at some point uh, my wife's going to listen to this and go, ooh, that drink Miles was talking about sounds delicious. Yeah. We should make those. And we're Get we're yourself. big... We're big Pina Colada fans here, so I can get down on this. I like that.
1: Yeah. Do that. Seriously, like honestly <laughs> do that. And and I want to hear how it comes out. And if you guys try it, which I hope you do, let me know how it goes for you. Uh, anyway, we hope that all of you out there are off doing whatever Christmassy things bring you joy, unless, you know, you don't celebrate yes. Christmas for religious or other reasons. In which case we hope you're out taking advantage of the fact that all the fishing spots are virtually empty. All either way, yes. <laughs> yeah. either way though. Good chance that by the time you listen to this show, Christmas will be over and this will just be an annoying out of season episode that you have to sit through and and you're welcome for all that. (laughs)
3: Oh, man. But we have to press on because it's Friday. <laughs> yep. And yep, doesn't it that... It's Friday, man. That's the show. And uh, before we get to all the auditory gifts that we've wrapped for you, quick reminder that this podcast is fueled by Black Rifle Coffee. And thank God for that, because when my children come tearing into my room at 5 a.m. Christmas morning, I'm going to need that before I can even look at them, basically. So... <laughs> Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com backslash meat eater to get your hands on some and uh, use the promo code MeatEater at checkout to take 20% off your order.
1: In there, whether you meant to or not, Joe, you, you brought up this interesting point, right? So we're in the, a strange, like, pre-post-Christmas time warp because we're we're recording this right now before Christmas. Yes, correct. And And this episode <laughs> will release on Christmas Day. Yes, it will. Mm-hmm. But we don't expect anyone to actually listen to it until after Christmas. We do not. Yes. So so what everyone's <laughs> hearing are the voices of past Miles and Joe talking about events that future Miles and Joe are going to experience intended for an audience where that future has already passed.
0: The only true wisdom consists in knowing that you know nothing. That's us, dude. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, and that's all right. Just don't overthink it. I mean, it's, it's a fishing podcast Christmas show. would I do. God's sake. But if you want to go that heady route, right now, Present Joe is probably losing his shit because his kid has decided to put the stickers on her Barbie camper van herself instead of waiting for Present Joe to do that for her. There are tears. Present Joe is yelling. What What's Present Miles likely up to?
1: Mm. At this point, Present Miles is is probably wishing he could Irish up his coffee because his son has gone into full-on toddler dictator mode, demanding presents and refusing breakfast is (laughs) what I'm guessing. And and then I'm getting annoyed and starting to lose it, and then my brilliant wife steps in and says, why don't we all just go take a walk? And we get outside, and she's much smarter than me, and everything works out fine. That's my guess.
3: Uh, see, now that's that's pretty close, except that we won't take a walk. Everybody will just go to their separate rooms. i will be like, you go take your shit and go to your room. <laughs> Daddy's going in the garage for a little while. <laughs> anyway, in the spirit of the season and this show, um, we have pulled together a whole series of holiday greetings from some of our favorite regular contributors here on Bent, and we'll be sprinkling those throughout, just like shitty candied fruit nuggets and Aunt Linda's concrete <laughs> fruitcake. After all... I mean, we want to be surrounded by our friends for Christmas in this digital world we've created, too. So
1: Yeah, we do. And, and kicking it off for us, one of our more, I might even say, our most esteemed guests. Yeah, totally. You probably know him as a famous actor, but we just know him as the proprietor of the finest bait shop in upstate New York. Here's Ray Liotta himself.
3: Hey, how you doing? This is Ray at Ray Liotta's Bait and Tackle in Pulaski, New York. Wishing yous a merry Christmas. Shops open today from ten to seven, and today only, everything in stock is half price. We've also got free cannolis made by Karen and a big pot of pasta al made by my mother-in-law. So come on by.
2: I'm just with you.
3: We ain't open it, eh? It's Christmas. What are you stupid? First, I just want to thank Ray because he actually called us. He called us asking if he could give a holiday greeting on our show exclusively, which is huge for us. You know, and I also got to say, um, you can just feel the compassion oozing from from every word that (laughs) man speaks. And, you know, I'm realizing that that we're going to keep that streak going because in our next segment, we're interviewing Captain and Lake Erie fishing wizard Ross Robertson, a guy who's about as empathetic as a gator snatching puppies from the retirement
1: community. Oh, that's oh, come harsh, on, dude. That's oh, stop harsh.
3: It was a reference. Didn't you see the viral video? The dude pulling his puppy out of that gator's jaws. It's it's huh? current events. I saw it. It was it was very heartwarming.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and besides, you know, Ross knows that I'll only bust his balls out of love. He and I have a long history and have fished together many times, but there is still much I don't know about Ross. All those questions and more will be answered in a rapid fire interview segment covering water.
4: I'm going in. Cover me, Perkins. I
3: can hold it. Pull on! No, I'm all right. Pull up! Ah! Today, in front of the firing squad on Covering Water, our new segment, please welcome my, my dear old friend, Captain Ross Robertson. What's going on, buddy?
4: I have already jumped ship here. I'm not, I'm friend, not acquaintance. <laughs> Feeling great.
1: Moving up the world. <laughs>
4: I Normally, I'm just guest. Guest. Guest.
3: Guy we picked up in the parking lot at the ramp, Ross Robertson. I got to say, nobody can see you, but I love that you have the full orange beard going right now. That's very festive for this time of year. It looks warm. Your face looks warm.
4: Ginger claws. That, that's the whole game. Yeah. <laughs> anyway.
3: <laughs> anyway, so to reiterate how covering water works, this is where we... Um, rapid-fire a bunch of, of essentially useless information about a notable fishing personality at you guys. And, and the way the game is played here is um, we're going to put two minutes on the clock, and Miles and I are going to go back and forth and rapid-fire questions at you, and we want to answer as many of them as we can within that two minutes so you can't think too long about them, and you can't pontificate on them. You just got to kind of just go. You just got to whatever pops into your head as the answer. Free but, association. Free association, Yes, a poodle, a noodle, a doodle, whatever. From as as, as
4: <laughs> basically two minutes to end a twenty-plus year career. Correct. Let's go.
3: Correct. That's what we're Correct. hoping for. And but then what we'll do is 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 you take the biggest career-ending answer, and we'll give you one minute on the clock at the end to expand and elaborate on that answer
4: to beg for forgiveness i got I, 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 I,
3: I. and and beg for forgiveness <laughs> exactly so uh if, if you're clear on the rules we can we can get going here miles I'll, I'll hit the first question and we'll roll from there ross are you ready to play uh no but let's go anyhow <laughs> okay two minutes starts now four loco or vodka red bull
4: vodka red bull for sure
1: crawler harness fishing brilliant or boring
4: Dude, you're about to get whooped right now. That's brilliant. You gotta be. You gotta have brains to do that. And moving on, worst Christmas gift you ever got? Probably something—a big ball of nothing from Joe Cermelli.
1: Okay. Ooh. Which is more delicious,
3: walleye or perch?
4: Perch, actually.
3: Okay. Best walleye fishery in the country outside the Great Lakes?
4: Some Canadian lake that I can't even think of because we're on a time limit.
1: Mm. Name one thing
4: most ice anglers do wrong. Don't move enough.
3: Most critical electronic on your boat?
4: Uh, My sonar GPS, my hummingbird for sure. Greatest angler of all time? Probably Al Linder.
3: I thought he was going to go Ross Robertson. Species (laughs) you've never caught but hope to someday?
4: Ah. God, that should be the simplest one. Taking too long. Uh, billfish. Oh, yeah.
1: Go, yeah. go ahead. Go, Miles. <laughs> Gobies, invasive problem species or great bait fish?
4: Oh, great bait fish. Mm, yummy. Mm, okay.
3: You can spend eight hours in a pop-up with any celebrity. Who is it?
4: Anybody but Joe Cermelli. um Or... <laughs> <laughs> It's got to be some hot chick. I mean, like Pam Pam Anderson in the '90s. Let's go.
3: Uh, okay. I love that you got the time. The the, the uh, we'll talk about it later. Good good on you for the '90s though. Go ahead, Miles. Do gingers have souls?
4: <laughs> Not this
3: one. <laughs> spring
1: or fall, walleyes. If you could only pick one, spring. What's the most annoying thing that clients do? Breathe. <laughs> <laughs> <Holy> <laughs>
3: Shit! (laughs) Uh, man and you know like the timer actually stopped on the last question there and like if there was a career ender you got it in just at the buzzer dude like right mmm just right there so uh I'm gonna I'm gonna put a minute I'm gonna put a minute back (laughs) I'm gonna put a minute back on the clock here uh that starts now and you can expand or elaborate on any one of your answers
4: I mean, obviously the client breathing thing, because I'm Good eventually going to have to take some more of those, you know, no, I mean, you know, guiding is probably, uh, and I know Miles knows this, it's a very rewarding, but very challenging thing. And a lot of times people won't allow you to help them. And a lot of people don't, <laughs> they they really, you know, what needs to happen because you're playing chess and they're playing checkers and Sometimes people just being there, like I mean, they they just they don't listen to anything you're saying from 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 step one, and it puts you behind. By the time they realize it, you know the day is over or the opportunity has been missed. You know maybe it's that you've spooked the fish or you haven't switched or or the bite has changed. The bite is over with. And the good guide clients are the ones that have open minds and will actually listen to what you're saying. And most people are not that way. They try to think, and you know a lot of the guys that I have are successful people. They own their own business. And they're trying to outthink me when they really should just be paying attention to what's going on and, and helping, allowing me to help them because that's ultimately what makes a successful day. I've been there, done that. I'm doing it for them, not for me.
3: That was like a minute ten and I'll give it to you. That was pretty that was pretty tight on the minute. Yeah. I let you go a couple extra seconds, but um that was fun and we we have confirmed that you do not have a soul, which I've, I've known for almost over a decade at this point. Anyway, thank you for taking part in covering water, my friend. Have, uh, if I don't talk to you before then, have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year.
4: Thank you. I, I feel like I've only lost 10% of my fan base.
1: Wow. Al Lindner, you are batting a 1,000 in this segment so far Dude, as the greatest angler of <laughs> all time. That's, uh, that's, that's high praise right there. Kudos to you, sir. Now a number you wrote in after the first covering water we did to tell us that you dug the segment. So we're going to keep it going. If you have someone in mind, you'd like to hear peppered with questions, both inane and illuminating. Tell us if we think it's a good idea, we'll try to get on the show and we'll also give you credit for sending us the idea.
3: I do know one person who will not be on Covering Water, and that's our resident West Coast steelhead expert, Skagit Johnson. It's not (laughs) that we don't think Skagit would make for a good interview. It's it's more a format problem. Like, he's not really, like, a quick-on-his-feet kind of thinker. (laughs) He sort of works his way through deep questions the same way he swings a run, slowly and methodically. We also... I feel like I couldn't really grill him on, on West Coast Steelhead right now because I get the impression he hasn't caught one in a while. you
1: never like know. It's, if it's, he had or not, you never know. Of,
3: it's been kind of slow. He did, however, manage to record a little Christmas greeting for all of you.
0: This is your old and buddy, Skagit Johnson, out here in Oregon wishing you a green Christmas. Got <laughs> <a> happy
2: holidays. <laughs> I was going to tie up a dozen winners, hope to swing on the lower clack and see if the fish are feeling festive. But uh, <laughs> I can't find my scissors anywhere, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's hope the fish aren't all dead next year. I can almost
3: taste the piney tang and wood smoke of a Pacific Northwest steelhead camp when I hear Skagit's voice,
1: man. It's evocative. Sir, <laughs> there's a lot going on there, but it's not as evocative as the book that I'm going to cover in this week's fricking Philistines, which also just happens to be set on a Pacific Northwest Steelhead River.
3: Yeah, this is one of those books that I know I should read. In fact, I've been meaning to read it for oh, geez, like over a decade now. But I, I think the guilt over not having read it already just makes it harder for me to mm. make myself pick
1: up a copy. You know I what I mean? That. No, yeah. I, I do. I totally get that. That that guilt just kind of creates a block. But uh, I'm not judging. I'm no, just saying you really should read the book. Like, I think you will appreciate it when you do, and it, it it's that good. I love that book.
3: I know, I know, I know. Maybe I'll make it a New Year's resolution. Anyway, this week on Frickin' Philistines, the segment where we tell all of you ingrates to put down your screens and read a goddamn book once in a while, Miles is going to tell you about the classic David James Duncan novel, The River
0: Why. What's a Philistine? It's a guy who doesn't care about books or interesting films and things.
1: I'm movie adaptations of books are almost always inferior with certain exceptions the godfather fight club high fidelity and the princess bride come to mind but by and large we all know hollywood screws up our favorite author's visions as far as fishing books go the river why might offer the most egregious offense i say might because i've never actually seen the movie I haven't seen it because I refuse to watch a complex, thoughtful, and hilarious book turned into a cheesy rom-com starring the backup quarterback from Friday Night Lights. Setting aside my casting skepticism, the original author, David James Duncan, disavowed said movie and tried to get his name removed from the project after seeing it. That's never a good sign. And in this case, it's a genuine tragedy because The River Why is probably my favorite fishing book. Ever. We meet the protagonist. Gus Orveston, just after he's barely managed to graduate from high school, squeaking by with a 2.3 GPA and uh, taking an extra year to get there. Gus may not be a traditional scholar, but he is a fishing prodigy, and he's about to finally achieve his dream. He's moving out of his parents' house to a cabin next to a river where he will live out his ideal schedule, which, once adjusted for thorny necessities like sleep, food, and minimal work, allows him to fish 14 and a half hours a day, seven days a week. And that works out to about 4,000 angling hours per year. Gus quickly learns a somewhat familiar lesson in this genre of fiction. Getting exactly what you want can lead to disappointment. From there, Gus embarks on a pretty standard coming-of-age novel journey. Since fishing all the time doesn't actually make him happy, he has to figure out what will, and we watch young Gus stumble his way into wisdom, friendships, and, of course, romance. I can see why Hollywood would want to turn this book into Sleepless in Seattle with fishing. The basic plot, when stripped of Duncan's wit, insight, and brilliantly strange characters, isn't all that compelling. But the book itself is rich, thoughtful, funny, and and unexpected on every page. It captures the experience of an awkward and overly analytical teenager with a fishing obsession— It's layered with Duncan's deep knowledge of religious and philosophical traditions from around the world, but he employs that knowledge to progress the story, so it never feels like he's just showing off. Finally, the book and its characters capture all the many ways that fishing is a great metaphor for the diversity of the American experience, from high-minded fly-fishing literary snobs like Gus's father, who he calls H2O, to down-home, salt-of-the-earth, bait-soaking rednecks like Gus's mother who he calls Ma. For example, here are a few passages from a chapter called Being Educated and Getting Brung Up. When people are kids, their parents teach them all sorts of stuff. Some of it true and useful, some of it absurd hogwash. Example of the former, don't crap your pants. Example of the latter, Columbus discovered America. This is why puberty happens. The purpose of puberty is to shoot an innocent and gullible child full of nasty glandular secretions that manifest in the mind as confusion, in the innards as horniness, upon the skin as pimples. And on the tongue is a cocksure, venomous disbelief in every piece of information, true or false, gleaned from one's parents since infancy. H2O was of the opinion that a parent's most sacred duty was the education of his children. Ma adhered to a more primitive philosophy holding that a child will educate himself and that a parent's job is to simply get him brung up. But education, as provided by H2O, proved to consist of no end of fine words and no beginning of practical instruction, except in fly fishing. While getting brung up, as overseen by Ma, proved to consist of no fine words at all, yet nearly everything my brother and I can do with our bodies and hands is a result of something Ma taught us. When it came to getting us brung up full of know-how, good food, spunk, and savvy, there was never a better than Ma. As for matters such as what is the meaning of life, or how to seek it, or where, or why, she farted out such corn-pwned, cantankerous opinions that we were forced to plug our noses, bail out of the nest, and start looking for answers ourselves. If you haven't already, go read The River Why, and even if you have, it's probably time to read it again. I personally give copies of this book to every teenager i know who's even a little bit interested in fishing i just don't tell them there's also a movie version
3: and hey if that felt just a little too elevated in culture don't worry here's atlantic city's own striper surf legend bob the garbage man wishing all of yous a merry christmas this is for Chunkin' expert Bob the Garbage Man Bertana Nananuski wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy Chanukah or whatever. Hope you all get golf clubs or roller skates or new mobile homes in Ohio. Anything to keep you off the beach. God bless you and your family and your other family from your
0: first marriage.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Balance has been restored <laughs> to the show. <laughs> We we went from a book that covers much of the world's religious and philosophical traditions and explores the meaning of life through the act of fishing to Bob G, (laughs) imploring all of you to buy golf clubs.
3: We truly do contain multitudes. And in that vein, it is now time for us to cover the multitudes of fishing stories that broke around the globe this week. Let's jingle our way over to Fish News. Fish News!
0: That escalated quickly.
3: Okay, so since it's Christmas, we're going to keep news light, cheery, festive, and at least 83% accurate this week, <laughs> okay? However, this is still a competition, uh, despite the holidays. Miles and I do not know which stories the other guy is wrapping up and putting under the tree, and at the end of it, our merry audio engineer, Phil, will be rewarding one of us with a victory Nerf bow and arrow, yes. and the loser will get a value pack of tube socks.
1: Oh, uh, now I'm totally going to win this one. I should have come up with better stories. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> who's I can't yeah. remember. Are I mean, you leading? Am I who's who's got who's up first? I'm
3: leading. I'm I'm uh, the lead off this week. And listen, no matter what, you can never have enough uh new socks. I can't. So I mean it's not a total loss. You know what I'm saying? If you don't get the nerf, bow, and arrow.
1: Yeah, those were always just like the the I have a bad association with socks for Christmas. Those were always the the, the gift you're like, oh, but I was hoping for a toy.
3: Well, I, I had it was actually the boyfriend, longtime boyfriend of my great aunt would be like the creeper that would give you, like, packs of underwear, like Spider-Man underwear. But when you're a little kid, you know, you open things in front of the whole family. Uh It's like, what'd you get? And you're like, (laughs) oh, you creepy asshole. He was kind of creepy, and it always pissed me off. Anyway. uh, Okay, so enough about that. Okay, so I do get to lead off, um, and here we go. Christmas news starting now from foxnews.com. Headline, 300 Santas go fishing. On North Carolina Lake, benefiting toys for tots and setting a world record. It's a good one. Isn't that it's jolly? So good. Isn't that jolly? And this was a one day event sponsored by Ugly Stick and held on Lake Norman. And there uh were nearly fifteen thousand dollars worth of new toys donated during the tournament. So good on you, Ugly Stick. That is that is super sweet. Yep. So now, so this, this story, uh, it, it says that, um, a record has now been set for the largest fishing tournament contested by anglers dressed as Santa Claus, but it, it does not say if we're talking like Guinness book or whether this is confirmed or it's just based on an assumption that 300 Santas have never fished in one place before, you know, um, I'm not entirely sure, though I believe that it is a record, and I find 300 Santas is more cheerful than the standing record of 300 Satan's jet ski fishing on Lake Mead in Las Vegas. So is that a thing? That. Did you actually find that? No, oh, I made that up. Damn I'm it!
1: Sorry, I was so excited because I was going to go find <laughs> that one. Moving on.
3: Satan Santa change a few letters yeah. around. That's what I did there. Anyway, uh, despite all those Santas conjuring up smiles and glee, a good portion of them could not use their Santa magic to conjure up a pattern. Apparently, Um, anglers Scott Hamrick and Roger Hoover took home the title of top Santa and $5,000 with a 15.7 pound bag. Now, I checked with a source, friend of ours, uh, Clint Bartlett, attorney guy, friend of yours. You know, Clint, Mm -hmm. he's a friend of the show and um, he lives down around that way. And he says that's a good bag, not a great bag. Uh, In fact, Clint says, and I quote, seven bags over 12 pounds is not good, even for the winter time. So, despite all those Santas cranking and warming, fifty-nine of the one hundred fifty boats in the tourney weighed in zero bass. But hey, you know what? This one wasn't about winning. No, this one everybody wasn't about wins. The big money, yeah, exactly. Everybody wins. It was for an amazing cause. Okay, it looked like a ton of fun. Um, and if there was a Santa tournament here, I, I might enter it. it. Looks like a good time.
1: I would. So yeah,
3: big win for Toys for Tots. I like this story.
1: I, I love that story. I, I'm curious, Joe, have you ever had any jobs that required you to dress up like Santa Claus?
3: No, I've never had a job that required me to dress up as anything in particular.
1: Because <laughs> I, I I, have. I actually have had <laughs> You to, did oh, Santa? Oh, I mean, I wasn't like the mall <laughs> Santa with, come on, kids, let's sit on my lap. But uh, I used to work at Big Sky Resort here in montana as a snowboarding oh, yeah, I've been instructor there. i've stayed
3: i've stayed in a penthouse there believe it or not
1: much nicer than anywhere i got to stay i can tell you as a, <laughs> as a lowly employee there but uh yeah for christmas I, uh, I i had to dress up in a santa suit and take pictures with kids on the slopes it's a true story and the, but dude you're so tall and lanky i like. had a fake gut that i put in and. Oh. <laughs> The whole, I mean, it was the whole deal, but my favorite part about that whole thing is like, after I got off of that shift, you know, I had to be on Uh on like the green magic carpet run for the kids to take pictures where all the kids were. But then when I got released from my shift, I got to ride all the way back down. And I, of course, I'd like dropped off the side of the mountain into the trees. And as I was going over the top, I could hear this kid yelling at his dad from up on the chairlift, like, daddy, daddy, look at Santa. He's going to (laughs) die. Was my favorite part about that.
3: All right. Oh, shattering the dreams of the youngsters.
1: <laughs> uh, my first story has nothing at all to do with Christmas, but I don't really care. I like it. Oh, um, that's not. That's it's, not. It's fun. light and fun. It's a light and fun story. Okay, at all least, right. Uh, all for right. For me, anyway. Right. Uh, okay. This this one is such a good example of how journalists spin scientific papers to get like clicky headlines that people just consume. Mm-hmm. Right. So so check yeah. it out. A few weeks ago, the journal. Nature Communications published this paper titled Domestication via the Commensal Pathway in a Fish Invertebrate Mutualism. All right. So, no that, idea what that means. Yeah, that paper, no, no
3: idea what that means.
1: <laughs> that paper got spun into the following <laughs> news headlines Farmer fish becomes first animal found domesticating another species. And algae farming fish domesticate shrimp to improve their farms. And. This fish is the first of its kind to domesticate other animals.
3: The last one is the only one I understood. I didn't even, under, <laughs> I didn't even really fully grasp the spun fake headlines.
1: But you might have clicked on so it. So go ahead. All right. So here's what's going yeah, may, on. Maybe. Damselfish, uh, which are a type of reef fish, have long been known to tend their own little algae farms on the reefs where they live. They basically just cultivate and defend a little patch of algae. And that's what makes up a big part of their diet. So not really farming, but they call them farms, right? Right, right. So these researchers from Australia, they recently discovered that longfin damselfish take the whole thing a step further. The researchers noticed that longfin damselfish farms have lots of these uh, these really specific tiny shrimp called mycid hanging around. And they observed that the mycid shrimp didn't seem to mind being close to the damselfish, even though they, they avoided all other kinds of fishes and that the damselfish that had a lot of shrimp chilling out on their algae plots tended to get better crops, so to speak. And it turns out okay. that mycid shrimp feces makes dynamite algae fertilizer. After extensive observation, the researchers concluded the damselfish and mycid shrimp have evolved into a relationship that seems a lot like domestication. Mice and shrimp are actually attracted to the smell of longfin damselfish and will seek them out. Damselfish are highly protective of their farms, and they chase away any critters that come near except mice and shrimp. So the shrimp get protection from other predators by the damselfish, and the damselfish get fertilizer from the crops from the shrimp pooping. It's one of those, like, cool science stories that mainstream media just loves to grab because it makes animals seem more human. But I am personally just wary of anthropomorphism in general. This seems to be an example of people <laughs> wanting to ascribe human traits to fish. So I don't believe that the fish are intentionally cultivating and domesticating these shrimp. I don't buy it. I think no. I think the shrimp are getting protection. The fish are getting more food. And they have both just learned to tolerate each other and be like, cool, you can hang out. But here's my question. I'm, I'm throwing this out to all the real biologists out there because I know we have some that listen. How is this different from all the symbiotic relationships that we already know exist between aquatic species? Like, how is this such a big deal? We know clownfish hang out with sea anemones because they both get mutual protection from predators. We know that certain type of wrasse operate what we call cleaning stations in the reef where larger reef fish will show up and let the wrasse eat all the parasites and dead tissue off of them. How is this different? I don't get it. Like I read the paper and the paper seems to be claiming that this is a totally different system, but I don't get how it's different. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually asking, please, someone who gets this better than I do send an email and explain this. If I get a solid answer, I will do a follow-up and, and, and admit that I'm wrong, but I don't personally see how this is any different. It's a cool headline though.
3: It's a fine headline, uh, but the. I look at something like this and it's like, man, somebody, you know, observe this and put put some effort into documenting it and, and writing a paper and all this stuff for a piece of information that that at the end of the day, I'm just like, neat. That's neat. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like this doesn't forward progress or like, it's just like, ah, figured that out. So I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe this will somehow lead to more respect for damselfish. Cause if there's one thing I know about damselfish having grown up with saltwater aquariums in the house, Mm -hmm. okay? You know how, like, you can't do saltwater and just throw shit in there? You got to wait for the bacteria to set up and the salt to get right? And the sacrificial lambs (laughs) are the damselfish. (laughs) The damselfish are the cheapest saltwater fish in the aquarium store that you throw in to make sure your shit's right before you throw that 50 (laughs) bucks away on the blue tang. That's what I know of damsel <laughs> So, is, maybe yep. there maybe somebody would be like, "Wow, they are way too smart to be the toilet flushers for saltwater aquariums worldwide."
1: If this really is an example of like domestication in in another in a fish species, I get why it's a big deal. I just again, I just don't understand how it fits, how it's different than just basic symbiosis. I'm missing something here.
3: I don't really see it either and frankly like um comparing this to you're talking about the cleaner wrasses I think that's a much more interesting symbiotic relationship, frankly. You know, like what they do for for fish than than this. But you know, who am I?
1: This one has an extra step, right? Because they're not—it's not directly the, the shrimp and the fish. It, there's the algae involved, so there's a third party. I get it; it's a little more complicated, but still, I—I'm I'm not sold. <laughs>
0: For all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find... Your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today, because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. We'll take
3: it here from uh, throwaway damsel fish in your tank to, to fish that... Everybody wants uh, for, for the long haul, maybe even for the wall. Uh, and this one comes from wind.com Headline, in rare feet, angler lands two near-record muskies on the same day. And this is a pretty short story. I'm just going to run through it here real quick. When Benjamin Newton's fishing rod bent double recently on Minnesota's Mille Lacs Lake, I knew right away, he said, this was the one I was hunting for. It was her. And that muskie measured 56.5 inches and weighed an estimated 51 pounds, which is an exceptional catch, as the story points out, for this large but shallow lake. But while that could have justified calling it a day, Newtson two hours later, landed another muskie that measured 53.25 inches and weighed an estimated 54 pounds based on the length girth measurement formula. And both muskies were released and fell just short of the record in the state's catch-and-release length category, which is 57.4 inches. Also, the second muskie, if Knudsen's weight estimate was accurate, would have tied a Minnesota weight record that has stood since 1957. That fish has actually come up on this show it has. several times before, and that fish measured 56. 56. So for all the uh, the muskie fans out there wondering what the skinny is, both of those fish fell to the famed bulldog. And if you're familiar <laughs> with that soft plastic, it weighs a ton, and I find them uh, utterly painful to throw, but they, they catch biggins, man. They I do. mean, it is a legendary lure. It's basically nothing but a gigantic Mr. Twister, yep. and they catch some some big muskies. And, and uh, you know, all, all I can think of here is, is how this makes other muskie anglers feel. Like, to tie it to the season, pissed it's like off. when all you want in your... Yeah, yeah. it's like, well, 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 yeah, it's the holidays, man. you pissed <laughs> off about something. But it's like when all you want in your life is the Micro Machines aircraft carrier. Ooh, and every chance one. you get for months, you drop hints about wanting the Micro Machines aircraft carrier. Then on Christmas morning, you get no aircraft carrier. But the kid next door gets the aircraft carrier and the Micro Machines C7 air cargo playset. And you just have to settle for the dollar store army trucks, which is my analogy for Northern Pike. <laughs> so, anyway, Ben, I can't, I cannot even imagine Ben what Santa can bring you that will be better than that. Nothing. So, hu- huge congrats on that.
1: Gotta say, you're you're you are taking such a high road on this, Cermelli. Like, yes, you as the guy yeah. who just <laughs> has such a chip on his shoulder about Muskie. Like, I'm slightly boiling in in jealousy over this, and you're like, oh no, I'm real, I'm real happy for him. Really?
3: No, I, I am because I because I've let it go, Miles. Like I don't expect in my life to ever catch a fifty pound muskie. Like I'm okay with that. Good. I don't expect to catch that fish. I don't deserve it. I've said this about myself. I don't I don't deserve it. I I'm not devoted enough to the to the muskie pursuit to deserve that fish.
1: It feels like a justification for failure. But I'll let you have it. I'll let you have that and <laughs> and feel better about yourself. And I think that that sets me up nicely because a lot of us seem to have been justifying a particular act that we've done for much of our lives. And and I'm going to talk about that one. This is, this is my Christmas news story. All right. I did find one. All right. All right. For much of my life. And I don't know about you, but for much of my life, I've been told that Christmas trees make great fish habitat. Right.
3: Oh Uh, yeah, man. I love it. I love where we're going. Yeah.
1: You just, you just love it. You just sink your old unwanted Christmas trees to the bottom of the lake and the crappie, the bluegill, the bass, everything you want. It's just gonna flock there. You'll have your own to personal
3: slurp up that tinsel. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna be like your personal secret hotspot. And it's gonna be stacked with fish. Right? This is sometimes framed as almost like a civic duty for fishermen. Like you're a bad angler if you mulch <laughs> that tree or or God forbid you burn it. But I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a side note here. Old Christmas trees make the best bonfires forget about pallets <laughs> try a giant pile of dried out pine trees complete with needles I promise you you will never see another bonfire like it again it's amazing it's, it's
3: illegal to burn anything here like leaves and stuff so we like we just drag ours to the curb and they pick them up like the trash
1: yep yep yeah but I, I'm telling you right now check out that that pine tree fire fire <laughs> But I'm not supposed to say that. I'm not supposed to talk about what, what a great bonfire you can make with your old trees because according to conventional wisdom and the internet, you have to drop your trees in a local lake. This is like lake fishing gospel. And, and for much of my life, I just accepted it, even if I didn't do it personally. I, I believed, like I carried guilt because I wasn't as good of an angler. So my goal for this Christmas news story is to figure out exactly how beneficial Christmas trees actually are when it comes to lake habitat. Mm
3: -hmm. I'm biting my tongue. I want to jump in, but I'm biting my tongue. Let let me get through it.
1: This is your deal. A a few years ago, a friend of mine was telling me how they don't allow people to sink Christmas trees into their neighborhood lake anymore because he claimed the acidity from all the pine trees was throwing off the pH balance. And I didn't question him at the time because we were just shooting the shit, but then I was researching this story and I figured, well, I should check that avenue out. I dug around online and I couldn't find anything about pine trees affecting the pH of lake water so I then called a few people who know way more about this stuff than I do and they hadn't heard about this issue either so okay. it seems like it would take what I from what I can gather from uh, other people's more expert assessments than mine it seems like it would take an unreasonable amount of trees to throw off the pH balance of a lake like as long as you're not Filling the lake with trees, which would pose so many other problems beyond the acidity. I I think this is a non-issue. In fact, dozens of states collect old Christmas trees and turn them into massive underwater reefs. In certain cases, we're talking about tens of thousands of trees all tied together and sunk to the bottom. The trees create structure for aquatic organisms and fish, and then they break down and further feed the system. My home state, from what I can tell, doesn't do this, but I found many that do. So if you're looking for something to do with your old tree and you don't feel like burning it, check with your local fisheries management agency to see if they accept tree donations. But then this led me to yet another question. Do Christmas trees actually make quality fish habitat? Like, are they good? And the answer from what I can tell is yes and no. The reason that so many people in states drop Christmas trees, at the bottom of lakes has a lot more to do with their availability than their quality. Mm -hmm. Pine trees Mm -hmm. have a couple things working against them as fish holding structure. First, they deteriorate really pretty fast and will only provide good cover for a couple years at best before they disintegrate. Second, their branches are too close together for big fish to want to use them as ambush cover. I found one study from the Berkeley Research Center in Nebraska referenced numerous times that claimed... Fish gravitate to limb gaps just big enough for them to fit in between. And Christmas trees have super tight limbs. So they work well as a place for bait fish to hide from larger predators, but not so well as a place for, you know, big fish to hang out hardwood with their more widely spaced branches make far superior cover for most of the fish species that we target. And they last a lot longer. So bottom line, I don't think there's anything wrong with tossing your old Christmas tree in a lake. Don't expect like you're creating some kind of a magical big fish paradise, right? That's not going to happen. More likely your holiday cast off will just become rearing habitat for baby fish, which is valuable, but not quite what we've been told. And finally, my last point, please remember trees float. So you can't just go chucking your tree into the water and like walk away and think you've done well. If you want this to work, you actually need to weigh it down pretty significantly. And and preferably do so with biodegradable sandbags. So I was going
3: to say we recommend a car battery,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just lead, just pure lead.
3: Oh man, no, this is I'm glad you brought this one up, and I, I, I've learned a little bit here. But I will tell you, see, I've heard the same thing about the acidity. Now you maybe you've deb- maybe you've debunked that. Frankly, they used to do this all the time growing up where I lived, right? Mercer County Lake, Rosedale Lake, there'd be signs: bring your Christmas trees on this date. But as far as I know, they they shut that down years ago. They don't dump any trees in any lakes around here anymore. Now I can't tell you why that is. I don't know if there was a specific study, but this has come up in circles. You know, shooting the breeze mm-hmm. with with guys over the years. I have never heard anybody say that they've had good fishing on dumped Christmas trees. No, and I've heard the I've heard the acid thing a bunch of times that they're they're too acidic, um, that they disintegrate to the point they disintegrate so fast it's 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 almost not even worth it. So I don't know that we've come up with a definitive answer here. I'm just sort of rehashing the things that I've heard sort of you know speculated. But I feel like that was a big thing when I was a kid and a teenager, and it's it's gone away. And sort of the consensus is now like, eh, just not not worth the effort. Doesn't doesn't really do enough.
1: I think that's true. And uh, the PhD was the one I was really thinking I was going to get a bunch of new information on and debunk this whole thing, and I couldn't find anything. Like, well, I see, just couldn't find it.
3: That and that's what's most fascinating about this one to me is because I've heard that so much. People people say it like it's law. Like, oh, there have been studies at the university. But then you looked, and well, okay, now, now I don't know is that is that a myth? But I have heard that before. So, yeah, I you
1: know, have too. Who
3: knows? But I, I haven't seen a sign or a call online to bring your trees in a, a very long time.
1: It's still happening. That I can say. It, it may not yeah. be happening out by you. It's not happening out by me. But there are a lot of places that are still doing that and collecting them for these really big, large scale reef projects that that and Christmas trees are just what's available. So I think that's why they use them because they can get them for free and and they're there. Um, So some places are definitely still doing it, but the takeaway really is it's not a great panacea for fish, but I also don't think it's like, I don't think it's a problem necessarily, but I I don't think you're doing a great thing by dropping your, your Christmas tree down there. Well,
3: I know Phil's going to have a problem deciding who, who the Christmas Victor is, because I feel like we both did a good job keeping it lighthearted. Phil, you know, who's been naughty, who's been nice, and as soon as we're done hearing from Phil, uh, we're going to kick it over to the sale bin to talk about another material that hypothetically could make some some pretty good bottom structure, if you had enough of it, which you might if you purchased
2: this item. Wow, it's the end of the year already. Man, I think after a year like 2020, the last thing we need is something else to argue about, and we already have so much of that around the holidays. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I don't know. What's the deal with parents in these Christmas movies where Santa obviously exists in this universe? Did they not have Santa visiting their house every year? If Santa was visiting their house every year, where did they think all these presents came from? Who the f cares? It's the holiday season, and I am crowning both of you winners of the episode. (laughs) Thanks for a great year, guys. See you next year. But if you really need a winner, it's Miles.
0: Well, why did you put the head in the paper? You don't know what I'm getting at.
2: Well, you you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry.
3: This week's sale bin item comes to us from the Craigslist page of Satellite Beach, Florida. And it's not what you think. This actually got tipped off by my buddy Dave Graham. Shout out to him for uh, sending this along. And look, I know we dig on Florida from time to time on this show.
1: But this is not going to be one of those. <laughs> Legitimately so.
3: <laughs> this is not going to be one of those Florida man type cheap shot setups where we, you know, we find a guy selling a wheelbarrow with an outboard attached as a boat and we make fun of it. Uh, this one is definitely unique. Okay, probably the most unique one I think that that we've seen yet. So far, yeah. The, the title of the listing reads "Wanting to Trade!" Exclamation point. Twenty one hundred pounds of Lego pieces <laughs> for a decent fishing boat, and then it lists a dollar figure. And apparently this this is all about like all worth about twelve thousand bucks.
1: Yeah, like there's really not much room here for description. No, because the post is it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> That's what it is. And and I I don't know about for you, Joe. but For me. The photos are are not making this seem like a an attractive opportunity. <laughs> it's, it's, just
2: just, it's just piles and piles of
1: tight yeah. shots of leg. Yeah, it's ten it's different exactly shots of Lego Legos. mayhem piles. piles of, uh, and <laughs> if you're even even just a hint OCD, this is your nightmare. Just straight up <laughs> nightmarish. I I liked Legos as a kid. I was I was definitely into them, but. I I really hated when the sets got mixed up and because it would always just turn into these these cauldrons of chaos. You know, oh, you were and, you
3: were that kid. Yeah. The GI Joe guns had to go with the correct GI Joes.
1: I liked it. I liked having my sets <laughs> as sets separately. I, I got really anxious when they'd all just get mixed together because, like, there you are. You're trying to build your car or whatever, right? And and you know you need that one set of wheels and they're in there somewhere. But you can't find them in this kaleidoscopic mass of like angle pieces and braces and medieval turrets. And then there's always the random like yellow, weird, disembodied heads floating around of the Lego guys. Well, the the photos <laughs> that we're looking at here are like that, but just times a thousand. It's well, <laughs> it's just like on steroids.
3: I don't think I got as nuts about it as you, but I, I was a huge Lego kid. I love the Lego boats that floated. Remember the holes that oh, yeah. know, were solid? But I liked a set. Like, I wanted to build that set and then keep it made. I didn't take them apart and make them again. So I'm the same. same. Yeah, kind of on the same page there. So I'm with that. Uh, Now, the post does go on. It says, we have 2,100 pounds of clean mixed Lego pieces of all types that are surplus to our needs. (laughs) Which And this just begs the question how many Legos do you have if these 2,100 pounds are surplus to your needs? What exactly (laughs) are your Lego needs? And the only thing I can think is that, like, are you an owner of one of the the Legoland establishments, which I have been to with my children? And dude, if you hate mixed Legos, don't ever go there. Like, that will be your personal hell. Side note, Uh, For that very reason, Legoland was kind of a bad idea before COVID. Now they might be done. Like, there's just not enough hand sanitizing spray sanitizer on the planet.
1: Anyway. They just dip the whole thing in bleach at the end of every day.
3: Just burn it. Burn the whole Legoland down. Well, anyway. The post goes on to say, this type of product sells every day on eBay. What type of product? 2,100 pounds of Legos. (laughs) Uh, On eBay for anywhere from eight to fifteen dollars a pound like i did not know legos were dealt with like beef you know what i mean like per pound yeah. so uh it says if you sell them at an average of ten dollars a pound there you go it's twenty one hundred dollars worth of legos Twenty one thousand. Um, so excuse me i can't do twenty one thousand dollars worth, worth of legos, of legos.
1: so and, clearly and
3: right have you researched i did not read is that accurate did you research I, this i was
1: not familiar with like Contraband black market Lego prices before this, so I did have to do some. Oh, of course you did. That's why we love you.
3: What do we? What do you got?
1: (laughs) I cross-referenced. I checked Amazon. I checked eBay. I checked Etsy, and actually, from what I could tell, this is legitimate information. Like Legos are comparable in price to what you would pay for like wholesale salmon fillets. They're right in that eight to fifteen dollars a pound. Yes.
3: Really? So if you just take a pound of mixed up Legos, that's worth eight to 15 bucks, just rando mixed Legos, not a set, anything just mixed.
1: Yeah. And so like, I'm trying to figure out the backstory on this because we do, right. It seems like this person at some point realized that extreme Legoing is not the optimal hobby. If you live in coastal Florida. And like, so you know, in the Sunshine State's perennial recreation cage match, I'm going to say this this person chose wisely because they picked fishing over golf. Correct, but yeah, yeah. they don't want to take the time or effort to separate, package, and sell their literal metric ton of assorted Legos, which are potentially worth over twenty grand. So they're just offered up a straight boat trade.
3: Like I, I gotta say, man, look, creative as this is, I don't think this person though is going to make a successful angler. Anyone who keeps tossing Legos in a box with no rhyme, reason, or organization until they cross the 2,000-pound <laughs> threshold is going to struggle with tackle storage, with tackle oh, boxes. Oh, that's and, and And every boat owner knows you got to be a little OCD to captain and maintain a vessel. Um, You know, when, when this person does get a boat, if this works out, I, I'm picturing a very seized up engine in the near future. But... This one was a lot of fun. We, we, we love getting links from you guys for the sale bin. Keep those coming to bent at bentatthemeateeater.com. And if one of you out there is like, <laughs> send me that like 2,100 pounds of Legos, I'm in. Hit us up. We'll, we'll get it squared away. All you got to do is take us fishing. Before we move along, Miles mentioning of uh, black market contraband in that sale bin segment reminded me that we've got a message of good holiday cheer from our favorite under the table South Louisiana captain down the road, Darren whose last name we bleeped again. We have to bleep it all the time because he's still (laughs) got warrants out in St. Bernard Parish. Here's our buddy, Darren.
0: What up, y'all? It's Down Road Darren in South Louisiana. Me and my partner, Joey Campo, want to wish y'all a Merry Christmas. We in the duck line right now and we're freezing our cojones off. Hopefully Santa Claus brings some warm weather when he gets his ass down here this year. And Santa, if you're listening, if you can do anything to get the Saints back to the Super Bowl this year, I promise I'll stop doing my side hustle selling bootleg coaster sunglasses to the drunk frat boys on Bourbon Street. All right, later.
1: Darren might want to be careful there. Those <laughs> Saints are those Saints are looking pretty good, and uh, and from what I hear from you anyway, that side hustle he's got is pretty lucrative.
3: Oh, I I I wouldn't worry about that. I give that promise a zero percent chance of lasting beyond the season. You know, it's not <laughs> like he swore to God on his ex-Old Lady Chantel. That would be an actual blood oath, dude.
1: I have so much to learn <laughs> about South Louisiana culture. And since since we are on the subject of people that I just don't understand, I think it's about time to grinch up this episode.
3: Yeah, it is. Because you guys didn't think we were gonna get through this show without hearing from our very own internet fishing expert, Lance V. Did you? Of- of course she didn't. Mm. So without further ado, let's throw some uh some audio coal in Miles ear stockings with his least favorite bit, Trolling with Lance, the segment all you boys and girls love to hate and hate to love.
2: To the land, to the boat, to the lake, to the sea, killing up the internet, with your boy Lance. Reed. Felice Navidad, stocking stuffers, it's me, Jolly Old Lance V, here to slather you with Christmas cheer and internet fishing awesome sauce. I know you're busy Googling instructions to that GoPro Max Santa brought you, but just so you know, YouTube can't teach you how to make a viral TikTok fishing dance. Only I can do that. Hashtag Messiah. Remember, Christmas isn't about family or goofy socks or fat guys stuck in chimneys. Christmas, like life, is a competition. So, listen up, because this question from listener Kyle S. really captures the spirit of the season. Kyle writes, Dear Lance, if you were on fire in front of me and I had to piss so bad that my bladder might bust, I don't think I would piss on you to put you out. But I could use some of your advice. I need to buy a belated Christmas present for my little nephew Crispin. His parents collect tote bags and celebrate Meatless Mondays, so I know they only bought him lame educational stuff. You know, like books and toys made of wood. What can I buy him that will make him love me more than his real parents? Great question, Kyle. This one really touches me. Hashtag children are our future. Hashtag little angels. Kyle, if you truly want to be the cool uncle, you'll buy little Crispin a PS5 and a copy of Ultimate Fishing Simulator 2. Then you'll download the secret patch that lets him play as his favorite fishing superstar, me problem is, unless you're showering in Dublin or Cheddar, or have deep connections to the Russian dark web, like I do, no way you're getting those. My guess is, you're lucky to scrape up enough Velveeta for a bowl of mac and cheese. So here's a list of ball of gift ideas for all the broke-ass uncles and aunts out there who didn't quite manage to get that box in the mail before Christmas, but still want to be cooler than your siblings in the eyes of their spawn. Number Uno. A subscription to YouTube Premium. Plop those kids in front of the screens and let the little tykes binge all their internet fishing heroes without having to sit through annoying ads. I mean, bro, did you watch the Furhead Ice Tour? It was like 60% infomercials for manly boutique soap, which is an oxymoron. And yes, I did have to look that word up to use it in a sentence. Hashtag vocabularian. Hashtag educator. Numero two. Potty Fisher Toilet Fishing Game. Google it and thank me later. I guarantee you'll pick one up for yourself as well. Number three, Reno. A Monster Energy monthly sampler subscription. Does this mean that little Crispin will stop asking his parents to pick up a case of Monster Energy Assault every time they go to the store? Of course not. He'll still need his daily sweet and salty power boost, but the monthly sampler allows him to try out all of Monster Energy's new lab-tested formulas without sacrificing his routine. Hashtag discipline. And last, but certainly best a fishing vest. Now, I know you're waiting for a sarcastic comment, something like, if you wear a fishing vest, you probably still have an active Facebook account, but I'm dead serious. If little Christmas parents are as lame and bait as you say, he probably needs to toughen up. Buy him a fishing vest so that every time he hits the water, the cool kids beat the piss out of him. It's basically like getting him a Fight Club membership. Hashtag First Rule of Fishing. So there you go, Kyle. I hope you heed my advice and salvage little Crispin's New Year, since his Christmas has probably already been ruined by artisanal coloring books and Patagonia sweaters.
1: That was exactly what I expected, but I do hope, I do hope that little Crispin gets that toilet fishing set. I uh, I'm gonna be honest. I, I actually bought one for my kid under the guise that, like, oh, it's a potty training tool, and, then, and not a present to myself. Uh, I hope both of you enjoy
3: that, and I do not want to know how it all comes out. I'd buy one for my kids, but I got to tell you, they have so many cheap play fishing sets, which I'm very proud of, right? yeah, yeah. but <laughs> none of them could be pieced back together in their original form if your life depended on it.
1: Like they're all just, inter- are they all intermingled? They're in all different time zones, like there's some
3: outside, <laughs> there's some in this bathroom, you know, they're just everywhere, so... Uh, I don't, I, I'm don't. going to skip that. I don't really need one of those. But anyway, speaking of piecing things back together, we're still thinking about our friend and lodge owner Mitch McFly up in Canada, hoping things come around so he can kind of piece his business back together, you know, once these pesky COVID travel bans are lifted. Um, but, you know, despite that hardship, the guy's just got such a positive attitude. You know yeah. what I mean? No, Considering he what he's facing. And uh, he was kind enough to send along this warm holiday message for all of you.
1: Hey there folks, Mitch McFly up here at beautiful Pickerel Point Lodge on Alberta's pristine Spooners Lake, wishing all our valued guests from the states a safe and happy holiday. I'm sure many of you have got new ice augers and 4,000 horsepower snow machines and stainless steel beer koozies from Santa Claus. Too bad you still can't bring them up here. Real shame, I'd hate to ruin your holiday by telling you about all the monster walleyes that we've been schooling right off the point. Or the forty-seven inch pike that's been following them around. So instead I'll just say take care and God bless. Thanks, Mitch. While I'm waiting to get back up there, I'll just be, you know, doing donuts with my new four thousand horsepower <laughs> snow machine in front of the retirement home that's right across the creek from my house. They're gonna love me. Anyway, uh we are just about out of time in this way too long christmas extravaganza yes (laughs) but before we go joe's got a a holiday yarn that he's gonna spin for all of you so grab a blanket and uh settle in while uncle joe does his version of twas the night before christmas only with treble hooks stock trout and family fishing lore it's time for end of the line
3: Uh, fishy 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 well that's not loud enough bird Scooch on up to the fire, boys and girls. Pour yourself a fresh eggnog, because today your old pal Joe has a Christmas tale that will take us over the truck trout stock rivers of New Jersey, through the mostly clear-cut woods where shopping centers now exist, and to grandmother's bait-and-tackle shop we'll go, to discuss what I believe is the greatest inline spinner of all time. I'm basing that somewhat on fact, but more so on a deep-rooted family loyalty and a heaping helping of Because I Said So. It all started in France in the 1950s, where savvy businessman Cecil Hodge Sr. and his wife Fritzy discovered the lure that would become the Panther Martin Spinner. To be honest, details of the exact order of events are conflicting and a bit cloudy, like that eggnog we're sipping. But to the best of my research, Hodge, who was a mastermind at mail order sales, struck a deal to get these lures imported to his facility on Long Island in New York. It was there that they were packaged and sold as Panther Martins, originally as a mail-order catalog item, which, as we all know, eventually blossomed into wholesale with every major retailer from Kmart to Walmart and beyond. Hoge eventually moved manufacturing to Italy, and as I understand it, that's where Panther Martins are still made today. And for most of my life, perhaps like for much of yours. You know, they said made in Italy right on the package, so I just assumed it was the Italian stallions that invented the panther. But nay, they come from France, just like the Meps. So, yeah, the French really know cheese, baguettes, funny hats, and inline trout spinners. These days, the Hoge family still owns and operates Panther Martin, and it's still in Port Jefferson, New York, and their catalog features a wide variety of offerings. Side note, many of you boys and girls may be unaware that Panther Martin actually introduced the first soft plastic swim bait to the market in the form of their Vivi Floor, which featured a modern-style boot tail, decades before that was a thing. But we'll save that for another fireside chat. Today, we're just focusing on their classic teardrop body trout spinners and their classic brass body spinners. Deluxe Fly Edition, with the red or yellow feathers lashed to that treble hook. What makes a Panther a Panther, regardless of specific model, is that its blade rotates freely around the post without needing a clasp to spin it. The result is a tighter spin, which many, myself included, believes creates a sharper vibration underwater. One could also argue that since the blade isn't swinging around all loosey-goosey on a clasp, Panthers foul less often and start spinning instantly after they touch down. Both the teardrop and brass body models are heavier than others in the category, even though they remain small and compact. And in my opinion, they cast further and more accurately because of this. Never am I without teardrop panthers with a silver blade and the yellow body with the red polka dots, the gold blade with the black body and the yellow polka dots, and some of those deluxe fly brass body models with those nice feather hotspots on the tail there for stained water. But here's really why these are my ringers on the trout stream. Every year, since I was probably seven or eight, I got a few Panther Martins from my uncle for Christmas. Only Panthers. Never Meps. Never Roostertail, Because he was a Panther Martin guy. Though my grandmother sold the store when I was only three, there legitimately was a bait and tackle shop in the family for a very long time. And my uncle worked there. So did my mom. And my uncle earned somewhat of a reputation as a man to emulate on the area stocker streams. He was sort of a sharpie that all the locals knew. And according to my grandmother, people frequently came in the store and said, give me whatever the hell your son's catching all those trout on out there. And it was always a Panther Martin that was slid across that glass countertop. To tell you the truth, those Panthers just kind of accumulated for years because little kids don't always trust lures, right? Worms and power bait make more sense to a seven and eight year old. So I was probably 12 or so when I finally tied one of those Panthers on, believe it or not, and I got whacked within minutes. And that was that. And now I had a healthy stash of Panthers from all those past Christmases, and I was now a Panther Martin man too. And I could argue that Panthers catch more fish, but I know that's not entirely true. Rooster tails, meps, and CP swings mess them up equally. Still, when the last mom-and-pop tackle shop in my area which was very similar to my grandparents' old store, sadly shut its doors for good last year, I bought all the remaining Panthers off the pegboard. Just about 200 of them. There were equally as many rooster tails and maps hanging there. But I left them for the dude that can probably tell a similar story to this one about those lures.
1: Straight up, that was the best closer this show has ever had. I appreciate that, buddy. You crushed it on that one. That was really, really well done. I like that one so much, I'm not even going to mess it up with a stupid joke (laughs) recapping all the stuff that everyone just heard. I do hope that uh, that you all had a a safe and happy holiday, however you chose to spend it. And uh, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. We really appreciate all of you
3: that we do very much and as always drop us a line send your awkward photos bar nominations sale bin items and uh, how about we'll throw in worst christmas gifts to bent at the meat eater.com and uh, if you want to get the one and only ray liotta on your podcast go ahead and scope paradinoia on instagram also remember we've got some cool degenerate angler stickers and meat eater fishing stickers now Okay, with your name on them. If we incorporate anything you send us into the show, you'll get some. We're also following that degenerate angler hashtag on the gram. And if we like what we see, you might get a little sticker treat from us.
1: Yeah, for sure. I want to see, wanna see what comes up there. Let us know how you spent the holidays. And if you managed to get out on the water, tell us how you did. Merry Christmas,
3: everyone. We'll see you next year on New Year's Day, to be exact. You probably won't be listening then either.